and we're trying to tie all of these books together. And so we'll just very briefly review some of the things that we said last week, and then we'll get into some of the lessons that emerge from the book itself. Uh, before we begin, we do want to go to God in prayer. A number of uh, people are in need of our prayers on a regular basis, Doc and Peggy Hunt. I was just told Sunday that Peggy was diagnosed with diabetes and uh, do need to remember her in our prayers. Uh, I heard that uh, she had been informed, I think it was on Friday, that she now has diabetes, and so we need to keep her. And Doc is due to have a prosthetic leg fitted very soon. I'm not sure exactly when, but he's hoping to have that done in the next maybe couple of three weeks. Uh, Carolyn Jacobs, still at home. Is she doing better, George? Okay, okay. What about uh, Miss Wilma? Up and down? Same? Okay. All right. And uh, good to see Becky with us today. Are you feeling better? Still sore? Okay. No, no break? No fracture? Good. Very good. And Elsie uh, Joyner has been moved to a hospital in Iuka, Mississippi, and she is undergoing rehab there. I'm not sure how long she'll be. I think she can uh, stay 21 days in, in the rehab center, and then after that, I'm not sure. Yes, ma'am. I do not. I'm not sure what. Do you know, George? Okay. All right. And uh, Lydia Box said that her, her granddaughter is in the hospital in uh, Tupelo, and she's not doing well at all and need to, need to remember her in our prayers. And, so, and then uh, Sister Laura Woods. Last week she had three chemotherapy treatments. She was due to go back to the doctor on Thursday to find out whether or not she was going to have to have uh, or have to remain, uh, I guess, I isolated from uh, people. But she's hoping to return to worship and Bible study very soon, so need to remember her as well. All right, before we begin, let's go to God in prayer. And uh, Rogers, you want to lead us in prayer this morning? All right, thank you. Okay, last week we began looking at the book of Romans, and just very briefly, by way of introduction, we said that historians state that Rome originated in 753 B.C., and by the time, by the time of Paul, it was the greatest city in the world with over one million inhabitants. Uh, one inscription says they had over four million. The thrust of the book of Romans is summed up in the words of Paul, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. For everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek, 
For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith, in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. The book of Romans accentuates the necessity of preaching the gospel, believing the gospel, obeying the gospel, and living in conformity to the gospel. By way of survey, we said that Romans begins by pointing out the sinfulness of both Jews and Gentiles in chapters 1 through 3. And the only, the only means to, uh, I guess, uh, the gospel is the only means that will liberate us from sin and unrighteousness. Uh, the first section of the book focuses on these truths and, and the place of the nation of Israel uh, in the redemptive scheme. And that's found in chapters 1 through 11. And then the second section of the book accentuates practical truths of Christian living in chapters 12 through 16. All right, just uh, some of the lessons. Last week in our study, we'll just uh, very briefly look at, at some of the things that we talked about and then we will pick up. I think we were on number 9, or actually uh, number 10. Uh, the Apostle Paul concludes that sin is a problem that all people face, whether Jew or Gentile. Uh, number 2, the resurrection of Christ is fundamental to the Christian religion. In chapter 1, verse 4, uh, Christ was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Uh, number three, the gospel has the power to change lives. Uh, it is God's power, chapter 1, verse 16. Number four, the judgment of God will be based on truth. In chapter 2, verse 2, Paul said, We know the judgment of God is according to truth, and we'll also be judged according to our works. Number five, we said that peace with God is possible through obedience to the gospel in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Number 6, God demonstrated his love for us through the death of Jesus in chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Uh, number 7, grace is not a license to sin, and the reason is that we've gotten out of the sinning business. In other words, we've died to the love and the practice of sin, and as Paul said, we've risen to walk in newness of life. Number 8, obedience to the gospel gives us access to the blood of Christ which ultimately washes away our sins in chapter 5, verse 9, and in chapter 6, verses 3 through 7. That's why we're baptized into Christ. And then number 9, we are to bear fruit as children of God. In chapter 6, verses 21 and 22, and then in John 15, 8, Jesus said that God is glorified when we bear fruit. Number 10, Christians are married to Christ through obedience to the gospel. Look at chapter 7. In chapter 7, Paul talks about the relationship forged between a man and a woman. And ultimately, when we obey the gospel, we enjoy a very intimate relationship with the Lord. So much so that in verse 4, Paul writes, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. And so... Uh, since we are married to Christ, I think one of the mandates is that we, that we are faithful to Christ. And just as in the earthly realm, a husband or wife could be unfaithful to the other, we could be unfaithful to the Lord. And so uh, there needs to be uh, a sense of uh, a commitment, undying commitment or uh, viewing this relationship with the Lord from a permanent vantage point. That is, that we're in it until death. And Jesus said, be faithful until death, and the promise being the crown of life. All right, look at number 11. And turn over, if you would, to chapter 8. 
One of the lessons that emerges from the book of Romans is that suffering is a part of life on earth. And Paul talks about the suffering that we experience here on earth. Look at verse 18. He writes, I consider or reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And then drop down, if you would, and look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And I, I just look at the life of Paul. Look at, look at the suffering that Paul experienced uh, in his own life. And, uh, you know, we've, we've talked before about some of the health and wealth preachers on television today and how they'll talk about, you know, if you, if you set your spiritual life in order, everything's going to be good, everything's going to be rosy. That's not always the case. Just because we choose to live uh, for Christ doesn't mean that our problems are going to evaporate. As a matter of fact, we could make the case that, that really we're bringing on more problems for ourselves. Look, if you would, at 2 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 at verse, well, look at verse 10. <clears throat> In verse 10, Paul said, You have carefully, carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. Now listen to him in verse 11. Persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That doesn't sound like an easy life to me. As a matter of fact, it sounds to me like that when we, when we enter into the kingdom of God, we are setting ourselves up to suffer. Uh, now, bearing in mind that the Lord will be with us, drop down, if you would, to chapter 4 and look at verse 16. In verse 16 of chapter 4, Paul said, At my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work, and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom, to him be glory forever and ever, amen. And so, you know, here Paul brings to mind some of the difficulties that he faced, and the fact that, at least on one occasion, he was out there all alone, with the exception of the Lord. And so, suffering is a part of life. And then back up, if you would, and look at 2 Corinthians chapter Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Alpha, there is a, I think that there is an allusion to that in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians or in the Corinthian letter, and I'm trying to think of which. I don't recall the chapter off the top of my head. Uh, I want to say that the allusion is to the city of Ephesus, but I could be wrong. Uh, I don't recall. Does anybody else recall off the top of your head? Um, look at, uh, while you're, I'll tell you what, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, I'll look and see if I can find that real quick. Look at, uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 
down through verse 28. Somebody read those verses for us if you would. All right, so here the Apostle Paul talks about the difficulties imposed upon him as a Christian. And, you know, whether, you know, whether we like it or not, suffering is a part of life. Certainly, as a Christian, we face uh, any number of trials and tribulations. But then just life itself. Look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, if you would. Look at James 1, 2 through 4. Somebody read James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Okay, all right. Down through verse 4. Okay, thank you. The trials that James is talking about here, the varying trials, are those outward trials common to all people, and they could include uh, everything from illness to disease to uh, uh, you know any kind of uh, physical suffering. Could even include financial hardships or setbacks, uh, economic reversals, uh, the loss of loved ones. I mean, all of the things that 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 we face in life, and ultimately. The trials of life, and we, we've said this on, on numerous occasions, the trials of life can either make us bitter or better. They can either break our faith or build our faith. One of the byproducts of, of trials, according to James, is that it helps to develop within us a persevering spirit or, or patience. And, and it helps us to, to dig deeper and ultimately to trust in God. And... Uh, you know, that's, you know, that's our goal is to, to hold to, uh, to the Lord in times of, adver of adversity. Think about Job, all that Job experienced, and, and yet Job said in, uh, in his book, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Now to me, you know, here was a guy that if anybody could have walked away and just said, I've had enough, he could have done that, but he didn't do it. And so uh, using the trials of life to better ourselves. Look also at Romans chapter 5, I think in connection with this. Look at Romans chapter 5. In Romans 5, 3, Paul said, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations 
or rather that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And so the trials of life, the tribulations of life can, can equip us uh, to make it. One of the verses that we'll look at and then we'll move on. Look over in Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> look at Hebrews 12 verses 1 through 3. Somebody read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Okay, thank you. Uh, in verse, look, look at verse 3. Re read verse 3 too, if you would. Okay, okay. In verse 3, he talks about considering him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You ever get discouraged? You ever get down when you face trials and tribulations and, and difficulties? You wouldn't be human if you didn't. And uh, sometimes it can be downright depressing. And yet when you, look at, when you look at the Lord, you see that He had an enduring spirit and that uh, you know, He persevered. And that's, I, I think really that's what, that's what we're called upon to do. All right, number 12. There's always the danger of conforming to the world. Look at, uh, look at chapter 12 in verses 1 and 2. Somebody read Romans 12, 1 and 2. Yes, sir. Okay, thank you. So here Paul said that one of the challenges that we face is conformity to the world. And really what one of the things Paul is saying here is don't let the world pour you into its mold. And, and you know, I guess just very frankly, it, it's not easy living in the world and, and uh, it's not easy to live in the world. It's not easy to rise above the world. And, and really when you, when you begin to think about it, you know, before you know it, the world can have you in its clutches. And, and a lot of times, I, you know, I just think about how we're bombarded, you know, by way of television, uh, you know, radio, magazines, movies. Think about all of the things that bombard us that, that try to tell us how to think, how to live, how to dress, uh, you know, what to, what to drive, where to live. All of, I mean, you just think about how, how all of these outside forces are at work and really, they're, they're trying to shape and mold us, and yet here we are, we're trying to live for the Lord. And so, you know, and, and the means by which we live a transformed life is, is, of course, the Word of God. 
And that's why if we, if we don't stay in the Word of God and we don't, you know, stay on track studying and meditating and, and, and just thinking about things which are from above, we'll be in trouble quick. Uh, look, at, uh, look, at, look, if you would, at Colossians chapter 3. Look at Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Paul said, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, where Christ is sitting on the right hand of God. Now look at verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And so here the idea is to set our minds, set our affections on things above and not on things on this earth. And, and really, that's the opposite of what the world's telling you to do. The world's saying what you need to do is focus on the here and now, and the Bible's saying what you need to do is focus on what? Things above, on eternity. And uh, it's, it's easy to get, you know, it's easy to get, uh, I guess, caught up or ensnared in the world. And then also look over in Philippians. Well, look back to Philippians, I guess you could say. Look at Philippians 3. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. Somebody read Philippians 3, 19 and 20. Okay, all right, so here Paul talks about some who were minding earthly things in contrast to those of us who are God's people who are to, you know, who are to view heaven as our home. And, and really what he's saying is that our citizenship, our commonwealth, is in heaven. And I think on Sunday mornings we've been talking about the book of, of 1 Peter. And we said that Peter's writing to people who, who are called pilgrims or sojourners or strangers and really the idea is that as Christians the world is a strange land it's a foreign land to us this, this isn't our native country so to speak that, that our home is in heaven there's, there's a great article in I think it's the January issue of, of uh, Spiritual Sword the January 2009 issue of Spiritual Sword and, and the article was written by E. Claude Gardner who was the former president at uh, Freed Hardeman University. And the article focuses on uh, longing for heaven or longing for home. And, and, and you know, how, how many of us long for heaven? Or uh, how many of us are homesick for heaven? And, uh, you know, most folks, you know, they want to go to heaven, but they just don't want to take the next bus, the next bus out, you know. And, and, you know, to really view heaven as uh, you know, as the as the place where we want to go, where we want to be, and 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 you know, the sooner the better. And I think that's why Paul could say to live as Christ, to die as gain, to depart and be with Christ is far better. Okay, number thirteen.
There is no place for retaliation in the life of a saint. God will right all wrongs one day. You ever wanted to retaliate? You ever had somebody do you wrong? Nobody's ever been done wrong? It's not easy. It's not easy when somebody literally guts you to walk away from it, is it? Uh, you know, mo most folks in our world, they, they live by the principle, you know, if you wrong me, I'm going to wrong you. And if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. And, and we, we tend to want to settle the score. And, you know, even though we're Christians, that, that doesn't mean we're not human. And, and sometimes when, when somebody has really taken you to the, to the woodshed, so to speak, you know, it, it takes a lot of uh, uh, willpower to, to walk away and to, you know, not take matters into your own hands. Look at Romans chapter 13 for a minute. And look at, look at Romans 13 verse 17. Do what? Did I put 13 down? I put 12 down. I said go to Rome. That was a test. All right, Romans chapter 12. I'm losing it. All right, in Romans chapter 12, look at verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, the idea of repaying evil for evil, that's, you know, the idea is, you know, if you wrong me, I'm going to wrong you. I'm going to settle the score. And Paul is saying here that what we as God's people have to do is when we're wronged, stand to the side and allow God to take care of it in his own time. Now, certainly there are, there are things in place to help us reconcile with, with somebody who has wronged us. You know, we're, yes, sir. Yeah, Norman. <laughs> well, you know, you know, God, God will will right all wrongs, and sometimes that's hard for us to see, especially in the heat of the moment. And and you know, all of us have seen cases where somebody has been victimized, and and people have taken the law into their own hands, or they've taken matters into their own hands, and they've tried to, you know, they've tried to. Uh, I guess, settle the scales of justice, so to speak. Well, that, that's not our place. And, you know, like in Matthew 18, we know that if, uh, you, you know, that we are to, to go to an offended brother. In Matthew chapter 5, we know that if, if somebody has all against us, you know, we're, we're supposed to correct that. There are things in place. You know, Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. Tell him about it, you know, and try to get it resolved. But, but you know, sometimes there are, there are, are wounds that uh, are opened 
that are, I mean, you know, they cut very deeply. And, you know, I just think about, you know, you know in, in, in context of Romans chapter 13, I, I think about the Winkler family. And, and you know, I don't, I don't know everything that, that went on in, in the context of, of, of that situation. I just know what, what I have read and, and, you know, some of what I have heard. But all of that aside, I, I, I have, have thought that since all of that uh, occurred a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, that, that the Winkler family as a whole, that, that they took the high road and they conducted themselves as Christians throughout uh, the whole course of that tragedy. From, from the time their son was killed un, uh, until now. Uh, you know, I've, I've never, you know, seen, you know, from my vantage point, I haven't seen any kind of, you know, retaliation. I haven't seen any, uh, I haven't seen or heard of, uh, you know, any kind of verbal, uh, verbiage, you, you know, uh, accusations or slander or anything like that. I mean, they've just tried to take the high road. And ultimately, you know, God's going God's to make everything right. And, and, and you, know, you know, sometimes the, the, the tendency is to, to just, you know, want to take things in their own hands. And in Psalm 55, David talks about how he had been wronged. And interestingly, David said that the one that wronged him was somebody that had been very close to him. And just because, you know, you know sometimes we think about people, you know, you know, on the outside hurting us, but sometimes our own family members, and even our own brethren can, can, can hurt us. And so, it, you know, we just have to, have to learn to rise above it. As Paul said, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Yes, sir. Well, I, I, yeah, in, in, in Hebrews chapter 8, Paul talks about, you know, or the Hebrew writer talks about uh, God will remember our sins no more. And, you know, we talk about, you know, he said, I'll be merciful to your unrighteousness. And I think about God forgives and he forgets. In other words, he acts as if those, those actions never occurred. You know, he, you know, he just, he doesn't hold them against us any longer. And, and you know, I don't, I don't, I, 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 I mean, we're human beings, and, and I, I think that, you know, yes, we can forgive, and sometimes it's difficult to forgive, but I, I and, you know, and I don't, I don't think it's necessarily, uh, I, I don't think that we, I don't think that we have the ability under every circumstance to forgive. I mean, I just don't think that's a part of our human makeup. Now, I think that what we, what we ought to do is try to do like God does, and that is, act as if it never occurred. And by that I mean, you know, like if we tell, like if 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 we tell somebody, you know, you know, somebody says, "Look, I I I did you wrong, or I did something I shouldn't have done it. I want you to forgive me." And and we say, "Okay, I forgive you." Well, I don't think we ought to be dragging that up every time something else happens, or do what? Amen. Uh, I mean, I mean, you know, and so, and you know, some. Uh, that's right. Uh, you know. You know. And I think the idea. What I think. What 
I think what Paul was, or the Hebrew writer was saying is, you know, that, that God forgives. And, and, and you know, I, when I use the word forget, I, I think, you know, he says, I'll remember their sins no more. The idea, at least my understanding is, the idea is God is saying, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to hold them against you anymore. I'm going to act as if they didn't occur, so to speak. Uh, and, and, you know, that, that's what we ought to try to do is when we forgive, act as if those things did, didn't occur. Now, again, we're human beings, and that's not always easy, especially when we've been, been wounded very deeply. I mean, uh, you, you, know, you, you know, it's like there, when, I was in, when, I was at, when I was at Lipscomb, there was a, there was a family, there was a, there was a guy in my uh, freshman Bible class, and uh, he was from Kentucky, and he got, he got killed over Christmas break by a drunk driver. And the drunk driver was, the drunken driver was like 23, 24 years old. And he had had, uh, he really, really hadn't had much of a home life. And, and I mean, that doesn't excuse what he did. But, but anyway, th this boy that got killed was an only child. And I never will forget reading about his parents went to that boy and forgave him for what he did basically took him in and uh you know to me you know you know that's forgiveness and that that's you know going the extra mile but but i, I just think about you know if somebody did that and even though you for, you know you forgave them it would still be hard to not every time you saw that person think about you know because of your actions you, you know my my child was killed now maybe Maybe time and the Lord would help us overcome that, but but I mean you know it'd just be hard, uh, and and you know I'm just looking looking at it from a human vantage point. I mean you know may, maybe maybe you guys have different thoughts, but you know I, I think that's you know we want to try to we we have to forgive and we want to and of course if we forgive, you, you know once you forgive. That, that kind of helps put anger and, and wrath and all, you, you know, it, it, you know if, if you don't forgive somebody, you, you know, you just kind of boil inside. And, and so once you forgive somebody, hopefully that will begin to subside. And then what I found out is, you know, over time, time has a way, a way of healing a lot of wounds. You know, I mean, I, I think about people, you know, that, you know, that have, you know, tried to hurt us in the past, you know, or tried to hurt me, and, you know, over a period of time, you know, it's like, you know, you just don't, you know, it's no big deal. Uh, and maybe, maybe that's what you need, it's just time. Does that help? Anybody else? Anybody else? You know, maybe, yeah.
Once once issues have been resolved, it, it ought to stay. Sure. Well, and well, that, that's true. And you know, so you know, and, and you know, when when things occur, and two people between two people, or or you know, maybe there are, are several people involved, and those things are resolved, it, it ought to stay within the people. That, that have the problem, and, and then once it's resolved, it, it you know you know put it to bed and let it go. Uh huh. Sure. Well, and well, you know, and, and you know, like in in Matthew 18, when when uh, Jesus talks about. Reckon, you know, when he, when he talks about, you know, somebody uh, who has wrong, you know, you know, if, if somebody's wronged you, he said, you know, go and tell him, you know, his fault between him, you know, it's between the two of you alone, and, and you know, that, you know, we, and, and I, I just think sometimes, you know, we include, you know, we get a lot of people involved in something that really it doesn't pertain to them, you know, but uh, but just learning to put the past behind us and learning to to forgive and then to to not drag it up, uh, and and I think some people are you know they've mastered that art of just every time something comes up they want to drag up the yes ma'am. That's true. That's true. Uh, you know. Uh, I mean, you know, there's no reason for us to know about it. That's right. That's exactly right. That's that, that's true. All right, number fourteen. Our time before our time's gone. Number fourteen. The civil government exists to protect the innocent and punish wrongdoers. And Paul talks about bearing the sword in vain in verse four. And of course, we understand the importance of being submissive to. Uh, uh, submissive to, to those who are in positions of leadership, uh, being submissive to the laws of the land insofar as those laws don't conflict uh, are, not in are not in conflict with uh, the laws of God. But, you know, I, I know that capital punishment is, you know, it's, it's been a widely debated subject, and there are a lot of people that are, are against capital punishment, but but I believe in Romans chapter 13, Paul authorizes the use of capital punishment, and the reason is because it is a deterrent to evildoers. And, and if you look at our country, and, and it, it's really just unbelievable that we can't build, ja that we can't build uh, jails fast enough to incarcerate people. And, and you know, the, the problem at least the way I see it, from our, the problem with our judicial system is there, there are no deterrents. I mean, when people go out and they commit 
heinous crimes and they get off on some technicality or, or they get a slap on the wrist or, or you know, these violent offenders. Yeah, I mean, they go to, you know, they go to some, uh, you know, lush, uh, plush, country club type, you know, you know what, what kind of deterrent is that to evildoers? And, and, you know, and then you take into consideration you've got these guys that, that go, go to prison and they, you know, maybe they, they've committed some heinous crime and then they're back out on the streets in, in just a very short period of time and then it's, it's no time before they're back in jail again because they've either killed or victimized somebody. I mean, that ought to, be, that ought to tell somebody Whatever we're doing, it's not working. I, I don't, you know, I, I mean, I just don't, I mean, it's not rocket science, you know. Yes, sir. seems to me that our country wants lawlessness caused. You know, there are all these old crooked judges we have now that are not the same as black people that are trying to do for this major crime. That's why they want crime because as long as the punishment is black, crime is going to continue to work. You know, there was a, there was a, I cannot remember, I can't remember the country, but there was some foreign country, they were talking about like drug usage. I said, man, we don't have a problem with that here. And the reason is because if you get caught with drugs, you're executed. And, I, I mean, it's not a problem. And you know, like, you know, like in our, in our country, I read about, you know, the, the, just the widespread drug corruption and, you know, how they can't, you know, we can't control it. The reason we can't control it is because we don't want to control it. We sent a guy in Arkansas yesterday that shot the man six times and he even shot his own brother because of drugs. And he's on the death row. He's just, they won't do nothing to him. Pro probably not. Uh, uh, you know, pro probably not. And I mean, you know, we, we talk about our judicial system. I, I mean, you know, uh, I was watching... Uh, uh, Law, I think it's Law and Order, uh, one of the, one of those shows. The other, and and they they made uh, really it was a uh, it, it was a, a slight at the Winkler case. They said, look at the preacher's wife who got off in like how many ever days it was. I mean, she never she didn't even serve a hundred days for killing her her husband. Now. I mean, you know, here, here, this is a secular program making light of the sentencing of, of that woman. Now, you, you know, I mean, look, I mean, look at all the people that just walk for 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 committing heinous crimes. And so, I mean, you know, it seems to me like, you know, we need to clean up. We need to clean up our judicial system if if we're gonna, you know, if if this country's gonna. Reverse its course. Okay, number 15. As the children of God, we're commanded to love one another. Look at verse 8. In verse 8, Paul said, Oh, no man anything except to love one another. Somebody said that love is a debt, that is our love for one another, is a debt we can never repay. We're always obliged, we're always obligated to love people. And so uh, he says, He who has loved another has fulfilled the law. And so... Uh, just the importance of loving one another. And then down in verse 10, he said, Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is a fulfillment of the law. And, uh, you know, you can read over in like 1 John chapter 4 how the Bible talks about God's love for us, our love for God, and then, you know, then we're supposed to love one another. It's kind of like a triangle. 
And so, just the love that we're to have for each other. And then in uh, Romans 15, 4, Paul talks about how the Old Testament, the Old Law, was written for our learning. Look at verse 4. Whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. You ever thought about the comfort we can derive from just reading the Bible? You, if, you ever, if you ever get down and you ever feel like uh, you ever feel like you just, uh, you know, down on your luck. Read the Psalms, and and read about some of the experiences of David and how David talks about, uh, you know, he just, you know, he's just down on his luck. Things are tough, and yet his resolve was to trust in God. And I, I like, for example, in Psalm forty-six, one, where the psalmist said, "God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble." And go back and read about, you know, look at look at Joseph, look at everything Joseph endured. You know, and, and yet his, resolve, his persevering spirit, his resolve to stay true to God, uh, e even though he had been wronged, he, you know, you know he, still, he still tried to do what was right. Look at, uh, look at David, the things that David experienced in his life. Look at, look at Job. Look at what Job experienced and, and the difficulties he had. And if you, can't, you know, if you can't be comforted from reading those folks, uh, and then, you know, just some of the other, the other uh, people that faced many, many difficulties. All right, number 17. The Old Testament, or I'm sorry, number 17, the, uh, the Apostle Paul had many Christian friends, and ultimately, so should we. In uh, chapter 16, Paul talks about the many friends, his, his many co-laborers or uh, fellow workers in the gospel and the close relationships that he had forged with those who were in Christ. And some of, the, some of the nearest and dearest friends you'll ever make on earth are those in the body of Christ. And I, I think probably all of us can say that there are some people in, in the church that are probably closer to us than, than even uh, our own family members. And Solomon said, there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And think about the friendship that, that Jonathan and David had with one another, just very close. And then finally, number 18, before our time is gone, uh, those who cause division and trouble in the body of Christ are to be noted or marked. Look at, uh, look at verse 17. He said, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. And so... You know, those who would, who would wreak havoc on the body of Christ, you know, whether it be uh, propagating false doctrine or whatever, Paul said we need to, to take note of those people. We need to avoid them because ultimately God's desire is that unity prevail uh, within the body of Christ. One other thing that I, that I ought to point out just very quickly before we close is that uh, when you look at the book of... Uh, when you look at the book of, of Romans, the obedience of faith is stressed in the beginning of the book and at the close of the book. In chapter uh, 16, verse 26, he said, But now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. And you know, we talk about faith. And faith and obedience go hand in hand. When you read Hebrews chapter 11, the great men and women uh, that, that are named in that, in that chapter, 
the thing that stands out is they were people who obeyed God. They had faith on the one hand and they had obedience on the other. And as, a, as a result of that, they were, pleasing, uh, they were pleasing to the Lord. All right, anybody else have anything you want to add to our study? Next week, we'll look at 1 Corinthians. And just very quickly before we close, uh, you mentioned uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 about uh, the illusion where Paul said he was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And I said that there, there, there was an allusion to that in, in the Corinthian letters. And it's actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, at verse 32. Paul talks about how he fought with beasts at Ephesus. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, some have said, with regard to that lion, some, would, some have questioned whether the lion there was a literal lion or was it uh, uh, like a, a metaphor for like the Roman emperor. Uh, but, but, you know, obviously in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32, he talks about fighting with beasts. And to me, you know, a, a lion is a beast. But, uh, but, you know, whether or not that's, that's literal, uh, I guess, is, up, is open to debate. But I think it's verse 32, isn't it? Okay. All right. We'll close with a prayer. And then next week we'll start looking at 1 Corinthians. Uh, Brother George, you want to lead us in a closing prayer today? All right. Thank you. And uh, thank you, Rogers, for having us on. Are we still online? Well, thank you, Rogers. And uh, thank you, Carolyn and Miss Wilma and others who might be listening. Always good to have the opportunity to spread the gospel.